If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. Guys, welcome back here. It is Wednesday. It is the middle of the work week and currently right here coming at you live from Memphis, Tennessee. It is raining, so I don't know what the weather is like where you are, but hopefully that won't affect uh, the show and the internet uh, as long as we don't get any, any big storms. All right, we're looking forward to today's show because we have joining us today, of course, I have my lovely wife, Kira. She's always here with me. And we also have Dr. Carr Kelsey from Kelsey Canine Medical Center. Now, I've known Dr. Kelsey for a long time, and I do a lot of work with a lot of different veterinarians. I, I owned a veterinary hospital myself at one point, and I've learned a thing or two about veterinarians. There are those who spent all those years in college, all that money on their education, and they just created a job. That's really what they did. And then there are veterinarians who are passionate about what they do, extremely passionate, and they're pretty smart too. <laughs> and Dr. Carter Kelsey is definitely one of those. I've um, done a lot of work with him. He and I work uh, together as a team uh, doing a lot of what's called canine pharmacotherapy in which we're dealing again with dogs with mental disorders and they have to be treated just like they would a human being. They have to have pharmaceutical medications to facilitate the behavioral change. And it's really great when you can reach out to a veterinarian like Dr. Kelsey and he's, he's on board, he's with it. And trust me, I'm not a veterinarian, uh, but, and therefore uh, there are some times in which I do reach out to veterinarians and they go, excuse me, who are you? And you don't have DVM after your name, so please stay in your own pay grade. Well, that being said, no big deal there because I'm able to find people like Dr. Carr Kelsey who are incredibly uh, willing to, to do anything he can to help dogs. So anyway, he'll be coming up in, the, in about 15 more minutes and he'll be talking to us about canine cough. And I'm here to tell you, Kara, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> and I tell you, there is no dog illness. There's not a single one that I know of that is more uh, just the misinformation in it that, that people just don't know about it. They don't. And they get really ugly about it, too. They do. I, it seems like when the dogs become ill, their pet parents, their, their brains become ill. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I, people who are incredibly intelligent, thoughtful, uh, reasonable. Uh, for instance, I owned a veterinary hospital and I had a client one time call me up and say, Brian, I'm never going to visit your facility again. And I think you need to know why. And well, I was curious. Well, I said, well, why? And she goes, well, I brought my dog to your veterinary hospital just to get vaccinations. And a week later, it was sick. It had kennel cough. And I go, well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. And then number two, how did you arrive at the conclusion that your dog became sick at our hospital? She goes, well, because there were sick dogs there. And therefore, when he came in, he got sick. <clears throat> so, of course, I'm thinking, imagine that sick dogs at a veterinary hospital. That's a novel concept. Uh, so, anyway, enough of that. But Dr. Kelsey is here to set the record straight on canine cough. And he's also here to talk to us about 
Dental Awareness Month, because that's what February is. If you have dogs with bad breath, uh, so therefore, if that's the case, then, then the month of February is every month in our household. <laughs> oh, no, that is not true. <laughs> it is. That, we're sure we got a dog named Dave. Anyway, I won't say any more than that. Uh, I just try to keep my distance. Also, we have uh, allergies coming up. Springtime is just around the corner. Maybe you know, It's not hard to believe here because right now it's 70 degrees in the month of February. But allergies, when they hit your dogs, next thing you know, you can they're, they're licking their paws. They're developing lick granulomas. Their ears become infected, and then those smell. So you've got smelly ears and smelly breath. Wow, that's a double whammy. So Dr. Kelsey will be here talking to us about those. What can we do? Is there any prevention? How, how can we just keep all this under control? But before we do that, if you guys don't mind, it's Wednesday. It's the middle of the work week, and we all need something to kind of pick up our spirits a little bit. So if you don't mind, I would like to share a funny story with you, even though it's a little bit self-humiliating, but I still I think it's pretty funny. Well, like you, I'm sure many of you listening, when our front doorbell rings, there goes our dogs. Rah, 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 bark, 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 times four, because we have four of them. And I'm sure you can relate to that. And then many times in our household, it's usually just a delivery person. And the dogs will rush up to the door, rah, 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 bark, 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 bark. And sure enough, the delivery person drops off their goods and they leave. And then our dogs turn to us with their chests puffed out and they're so proud. And they're looking at Kira and I and they're going, we did it. We scared off the intruder. And by the way, thank you very little for, for not helping us. So, of course, we're looking at them going, silly dogs. Those delivery people were going to drop off that package and leave regardless of your nice little show that you have. So I'm sure all of us have those. But we also have dogs who rush to the back door of our house. Now, why? Because we have teenagers. And about a year ago, not that we're helicopter parents, <laughs> but we have teenagers. And we installed this app on our phones that would allow us to, to know when they arrive at home. Because many times, Karen and I would be away on conducting business and helping out clients. And we just want to know when our children were home. Well, this thing makes a little bit of a unique sound. It kind of goes, and that's my best imitation. I'm not going to do it again. I don't care how many times you ask me. <laughs> but as soon as that, it didn't take long for these dogs to become savvy that when they heard that sound, there they go, racing to the back door. And I also kind of learned something as well. Uh, I guess this happens to a lot of people because I didn't realize until I moved down here to the south. But there's something unique here. People who visit you come to the front door of Southerners. If it's family, they come through the back door. So I guess this wasn't so unique that our dogs rushed to the back door, but they certainly would. Well, about three weeks ago, our youngest teenager got his driver's license and he's been driving himself to school. So therefore we changed the app to let us know when he would arrive at school. And next thing you know, he does arrive at school where he's there safe and sound, didn't have a crash. And the little alarm goes off again, the little notification, and there goes all the dogs to the back door. <laughs> and, and after about three of those, <laughs> we look at each other and we go, you silly dogs. And, and, and to think, Kara, some people think they're human. Yes, yes. Well, the story goes on. So I'm not finished yet. This thing just keeps going. Well, about that time that that's occurring, later that night, about eight o'clock in the evening, pitch black, dark outside, our doorbell goes off. Well, not unusual. UPS and other uh, delivery companies will deliver late at night. And there goes all of our dogs to the door. Rah, 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 rah. Well, I go to the door to see what was left for us. And there was nothing. And there was no UPS person, no delivery person, no one. Nothing at all. So I turn to Karen. I go, 
did you hear the doorbell? She goes, yeah, I did. And so did the dog. See the dogs? All, all the dogs went to the front door. Huh, that's strange because there's no TV on. No one's on a computer. Strange. Well, that's just what I chalked it up to. Strange. Well, the next night at 8 o'clock, there it goes again. Ding dong. All the dogs are racing to the door again. And sure enough, I go out there. No package. There's no one there. So I look at Karen before I can even ask her. She goes, yes, I did hear the doorbell. This is very strange. And all the dogs are going, yeah, yeah, we heard it. We heard it. We heard it too. So I'm sitting there thinking, and then it comes to me. I go, really? Doorbell ditchers. Oh, my gosh. I thought doorbell ditching went out with my brother and I. I thought we were the last ones that ever did that. And there it was resurrected again. We had doorbell ditchers. Oh, yeah. I am like, oh, man, I am savvy to doorbell ditching, baby. We're going to get it on. I'm going to be waiting for you next time you show up. And next thing you know, the next night, sure enough, I'm ready. It's 8 o'clock. My muscles are tight. I'm even peering at the front door out of the corner of my eye. So my rods are activated like a dog, and I'm able to detect the slightest movement in total darkness. And even my wolf tattoo, the hairs on the back of that <laughs> tattoo are standing up. And by the way, I, I named him Killer. It's appropriate for him. And uh, sure enough, 8 o'clock, ding dong, and that's it. I'm gone. I embarrassed our dogs. I was out that door <laughs> full two seconds before they were out, and I cut to the left, and they come rushing out, and they cut to the right, and then I cut back to the left, and then they cut back to the right, and I don't know how long we kept this up, but we're just running everywhere. I'm going to catch those doorbell ditchers for sure. Well, after a little bit, I stop. <laughs> I'm breathing. The dogs are patting, <laughs> and I'm looking at them, and I'm going, where'd they go? And, of course, the dogs go, they, they who? I go, the doorbell ditchers. And they ask, what's a doorbell ditcher? And then I had to think, you know, that was actually a good question because uh, you guys weren't around the last time I was doing doorbell ditching. So that was a good point there. But I'm going, where did they go? And they go, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, at that moment there, I looked up on the porch and there's my wife standing there laughing. And of course, she has this look on her face that if you if there's any men out there listening to the show and they're married, then you know what that face is. It's one of those that says, uh, I know something that you don't know. And, and you if you want <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know what it is, we're going to have to talk about a clear stone. <laughs> so that being said, uh, I give in like I typically do. And uh, you want to show everybody your new clear stone. I had just had to find out what the heck was going on. And unbeknownst to me, we had ordered some furniture. And when we did, Kira had downloaded an app on her phone. And every one of those doorbells going off was that company's way of saying, we're processing your order. Your order has shipped. Prepare for delivery. So after hearing that, I looked over at my dogs and Captain, our cattle dog, who's the little wise guy of the group, looks at the other dogs and says, silly humans, and to think that they think that they're dogs. <laughs> Touche, buddy. You got me on that one there. So anyway, I just thought I'd start off our radio show with that, kind of get us going just a little bit. Uh, just it's Wednesday. Hey, we, we need something really good. And there's a lot of funny, funny things in the dog ownership world, a lot of serious things, but a lot of funny things. I thought I'd just share that with you. Okay, moving on real quick. We did have some questions come in this week. Uh, 
some good ones. And I hope to cover just a few of those real quick before we move into our first break. Now, one of these questions comes in uh, that came in is from Ashley. And Ashley is a research assistant at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, she's also the chief operating officer for Starfleet Service Dogs. And she asks, Brian, I would like to know your perspective on the use of the command no in dog training and in practical application and use by the handler. I'm also interested particularly in what you train the definition of no to mean to dogs. How do you condition the dog's response? And lastly, if you use a physical correction to condition the word, do you still physically correct the dog every time after they hear no, even after the conditioning phase has ended? Now, I reached back out to Ashley just to make sure that I had clarification on that question and therefore I could give it the, the answer that it deserves. And she wrote back, I personally train no to be defined, to be a defined body position of sit. Generally, an incompatible behavior to what a handler would default to using the command for. Well, how many people, I mean, just in, in, instinctively, I mean, say no. I mean, how many times a day do you say no to me? A lot, a lot. <laughs> okay. How about you, Dr. Kelsey? Uh, I hear that all the time. <laughs> you're all the, yeah, we guys hear that all the time. I mean, that's kind of like just background noise for me now. Uh, but the, the issue is with dogs. From a serious standpoint, they don't have language. That, that is lost to them. They operate off of signals. And there's a couple of rules, and we'll dedicate a, an entire half of a show coming up on signals. How do they operate? How do they work for dogs? The sign, the study of signs, semiotics. But for the most part, the rule is if you're going to use a signal, stereotype it. Stereotype it. Not only the signal itself, but the response that you're eliciting from the dog, the response that you want. And so many of us use the word no for everything. No, don't pee on that tree. No, quit <laughs> pulling me. No, stop barking. Uh, I mean, my gosh, no, get your paws off the darn counter. It's no, 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 and more no. And of course, the issue with that is that, well, what the heck does no mean? Imagine you go into a foreign country and every single time you ask them, what is the word for this object? What's the word for this food and so on and so forth? You are told the exact same word. So as you can imagine, the confusion that dogs have. Now, me personally, and when training dogs and even with humans, I use the word no as a signal that means stop action. Stop. Right now, whatever you're doing, just stop. And as soon as you do, I will follow up with an additional signal, an accompanying signal. So case in point, if I'm walking my new puppy, he pulls, no, heel. Let's say he's jumping up, no, off. It, as you can follow along with that, that's what we do. And as long as you give an accompanying signal after the word no, then you're going to be fine. The no will soon be learned that, hey, it's a precursor. It's stop action. Stop whatever you're doing. And now here comes the next signal. Think of it like a red light. 
red light. Stop your car, sit there, wait for the next signal. Here it comes. Now perform the action required of the signal. Um, and then as far as her other part of her question, I'm interested particularly in what you train the deficit of no to mean. That's uh, going over that. And how do you condition a response? Well, that just really depends on the dog. It depends on how they react to the word no. Uh, many times I hear people say, no, no, please. Uh, no, 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 ma'am. No, sir. Uh, probably not going to get the same response as no. When I give a signal to an animal, for me, the outcome is never in doubt. It's never a question. So that being said, I highly recommend you do the same thing. And as far as getting the response you're looking for, hey, typically verbal words without some sort of touch, some sort of other accompanying signal to it, leaves the dogs clueless, it's meaningless. So a lot of times with our young dogs, we'll just have them on a long line and go, no, and just give a little snap on it. How hard, just enough to notice in the beginning, and then they'll train you. You'll get feedback to that. Uh, so I hope that helps. I hope that helps to answer it. Just don't use no to completely mean everything. It's a stop action. Just put those two words you hit, stop action. Then make sure you follow up with another signal. Okay, guys, we're going to cut away to a break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking to the doctor, Dr. Carr Kelsey, and when we come back, uh, make sure you have your questions ready to go. And if you guys want to call in, uh, you can call at 866-472-5788 or send me an email at brian at tamingthewild.com. And that's Brian with a wild. All right, guys, until we come back, sit, stay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. After years of waiting... 
There's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, we have Dr. Carr Kelsey from Kelsey Canine Medical Center. And notice I said canine medical center. There was no feline in there. Uh, so you That's treat right. only dogs, right? That's correct, Brian. Um, I'm one of the only veterinary clinics that exclusively uh, focuses on, on dogs across the country. There's about, I think there's three or four other veterinary clinics that are just dog exclusive. But uh, I opened mine up uh, about 11 years ago with the intent of just focusing on dogs. And it's just been a wonderful experience. Wow, so no, so no money in cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I think I may have chosen the wrong profession when I figured out that I was allergic to uh, half the species I was treating. Oh, no, oh, <laughs> I developed bad. that cat allergy, and uh, and anyways, but it, it's worked out great. And um, being able to focus on dogs, it, you know, people come in and they they have cats as well, but they'll take the cats to another vet and they bring their dog into us. So. Ah, and you still, really you still keep them. You don't worry about them going to over to the other bed. No, and not at all. all of a sudden, one-stop shopping. Not at That's all. That's how uh, a lot of just heck people in general sure. nowadays versus alone dog owners and cat owners. Well, we have four dogs and we have two cats. So I guess we'll have to take our cats somewhere There else. you go. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you this, too. It's amazing how um, some of the dogs that were that were, were acted out maybe at other vet clinics are calmer at our place. I think probably because some of the cat smells and that interaction that they have there. So a client will come in and they'll be like, my dog's never acted this, this well <laughs> at the dog place. I didn't think about that. That yeah. makes sense. Well, no, it, it, it definitely does. Yeah. I, I remember uh, taking a uh, Dax. Remember our big German shepherd yeah. named Dax. Now when Dax saw a cat, oh. He wanted to eat it. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, it was going it was to game die. game on. It, yeah, yes. that's it. It was, <laughs> you're going to die. And I remember taking him to a bed hospital. And I'm in that tiny little exam room that's all of about three feet wide and four feet long. It's just an oversized crate is what it is. And uh, you could hear. And again, they have really, really incredible hearing. But right. even I, as a human, could hear the cat in the room next door. Right. And I thought for sure he was going to tumble his way straight through from that exam room. <laughs> and you know, I was embarrassed. I'm going, I'm a dog trainer yet. It was, forget it, forget You're me, right. Brian. I'm going to kill that cat. It's just right next door. I think it's only through about it's four inches of sheetrock mm-hmm. right here and a little FRP board. And I'm going to have that thing right. all day. So, yeah, I, I can definitely understand not mm-hmm. having cats for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about canine cough. Um, as, as you heard us say a little bit ago, I don't know how many how many letters do we send out, how many times I've written about canine cough, how many times uh, we've, we've put out blogs. Right. What, 
what is it about it that a people just don't take the time to do the research on it what strikes such fear in people about canine cough what turns them from these incredible dog owners to demons uh it's just amazing i'm not saying all dog owners are so again i'm not making a stereotype uh uh signal out there for you guys i'm just saying that in our experience even only in a veterinary hospital holy moly i i I dealt with many things but never the the level of emotions that 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 canine cough seems to evoke right yeah i agree um completely we probably hear that multiple at least once a month from somebody that um, we don't at our facility we don't board or groom at our uh, place uh, which makes it you know nice that we don't really necessarily have to experience or be uh produce that cough that it's going to happen but when they go to another place they'll you know they they come in for our treatment with us and they'll be blaming you know that other facility and maybe that place was dirty and all this kind of stuff and a lot of times honestly i'll i'll i use the analogy of you know if you've ever had children in daycare you know kids around kids are going to just swap uh you know you're going to sneeze and they're going to wipe their eyes and all this kind of stuff and you know dogs in uh in boarding and daycare they're in a enclosed environment they're playing hard they're rubbing up against each other they're licking each other so things are just going to happen and and people do need to kind of take a step back and understand that aspect that dogs are social animals they're going to get up in in each other's faces and again it's very possible for things like that to happen, even if, and this is a thing they don't understand a lot of people is even if they're vaccinated, even if they're, the dog is vaccinated, you still have that potential um, for a dog to get um, the cough. And, you know, we can go into kind of the breakdown of that if you want to. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm really glad this is being recorded because I'm going yeah. to save this and I'm going to play this every time someone contacts us and go, Hey, my dog was, perfectly healthy when it came in but now it is sick and it's your fault you must not clean the place you must not care for the dogs uh yada 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 so i think they just don't understand yeah right they were vaccinated against it they shouldn't have gotten right they just don't understand i I use the example of you know most people get the flu vaccine uh for themselves but yet (laughs) you know your doctor will tell you that hey this is uh, this is not 100 percent foolproof we hope you don't get the flu but you if you're going to get exposed to it, you likely will have a less severe case of the flu because you've been vaccinated. Um, so yes, yeah, sometimes it is going to be foolproof, but a lot of times it's just going to be that you're going to have a less severe case. So uh, and that's the way I kind of describe the the two vaccines and that, well, really the two conditions. Um, there, when you talk about canine cough, there is we actually now have changed the name. We'll talk about kennel cough, which now we really call the kennel cough complex. Uh, because there's so there's actually multiple agents, multiple bacteria and things that can set and viruses that can set this off. And then the other separate category, which is fairly still new to the scene, but is the canine flu virus. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so those, those two things, they look very similar, um, but they are different. And so just, I could speak on, um, we can talk about, you know, the, the canine flu. Well, let's say this. Let's talk about the kennel cough complex first. Um, you know, the complex, there's about, again, there's five, six, seven different agents. There's Bordetella, which most people know of, and parainfluenza. Well, that's just two, and those are the ones we have vaccines for. But there's also Klebsiella and Mycoplasma and E. coli and Pseudomonas. 
uh, Streptococcus zoepidemicus. There are other agents, so that's five or six, that we have no vaccines for for our dogs, and yet these dogs can be exposed to. Um, I've tested now about probably eight or nine, maybe 10 different dogs for what potentially I thought might be canine flu, which we'll talk about in a second. And almost nine times, well, actually all of those cases came back as one of those other agents, Mm. the Klebsiella, Mm. Mycoplasma, and the Strepsoepidemicus. And I just explained to the owner, like, there are just not any vaccines for these. Um, So, yes, absolutely, 100%, I believe, in vaccinating your dog for um, this kennel cough um, issue, the kennel cough disease. But, again, it's not foolproof. It doesn't cover every spectrum uh, of the kennel cough complex. And people just, again, it is, it's education and trying to teach people. And, unfortunately, the only time you get to teach them is when their dog comes down with with it is really your best chance. Now, on the other side of the coin, yes, is this is the canine flu virus? Okay, um, it uh, the, there are two strains in the in the dog world. There's the H3N8 with the eight, and then there's H3N2. Um, the N8 is uh, the first one that we found in dogs, which was back in I think it was 2004 or five, and that was actually a flu. I'm sorry, it was a flu virus in the horse that jumped over to the dog. Um, and so that virus was, ex- it, it mainly was running in the greyhound community for a while. A lot of greyhounds, racetracks and stuff were, were exposed to and had, had uh, that H3N8. Well, fast forward um, to 2000, I believe it was 15, where the Asian flu, the H3N2, jumped over the Asian avian flu. So this was an avian flu from Asia, jumped over to the dog. Never before recorded. This is the very first time it's ever done that. And um, actually, I learned the backstory from uh, one of the virologists uh, from North Carolina State. Uh, The outbreak, the very first outbreak was in Chicago. And so what happened, they did, you know, they did some um, epidemiologic studies behind there. But but basically, there was a, a rescue group that was in Chicago that went to China uh, went over there to rescue some dogs and and brought the virus that has never been here in the states back to the oh, Chicago gosh. area. That's wow. how it actually started. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that either. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so, and that was kind of the epicenter of this in in the mid 2015. Hmm. So, um, they the companies, you know, obviously they want to we want to protect against that. Um, some of the <clears throat> biologic manufacturers they came out with a virus a uh, vaccine for the H3N8 first. And then when the H3N2, the the avian flu that jumped to the dog, when that came out, probably, I guess, about a year or so later, that vaccine was produced. So now the good news is we have a vaccine that's a combination vaccine for both of those strains of flu. Um, And so, and it works very well. Um, The one thing good, you know, I guess I'll say the good thing about the dog flu is that, um, it's it's not seasonal, okay? So there's not a season like there is in people where you know the winter time might be worse than others. Um, so it's it's a non-seasonal disease, but it doesn't it doesn't um, uh, mutate all that much in the sense that that vaccine is pretty protective for it. Mm-hmm. So um, you know if you do get the vaccine, you're the cases are going to be again it might be a little less. It's going to be definitely less severe, but even even pretty protective of it. So. Um, so that's kind of the breakdown. You have the two the two sides of the of the complex. So you have the, the kennel cough complex, which is 
again, five, six, seven different bacterial type agents, one of the one virus, and then you actually have the canine flu and all of them look similar. Um, you know, I think, um, well, speaking of, you know, what they actually look like, you know, people do call us and say, well, what is, you know, if my dog has it, what is he going to do? Well, it, a lot of times it is very similar to people there. They will have a, a sneezing or a cough, a mild cough. Now, sometimes that can worsen, but uh, they can feel lethargic, maybe run a low-grade fever. And this is, again, for both of those, the flu and the uh, kennel cough complex. Um, and these dogs, you know, basically are just going to be off for a time, not feel well, maybe not eat as well. There are the extreme cases, a very small percentage in terms of the flu that become severe. And those are the ones, of course, that, you know, get the, the news reports, if you will, that, you know, these dogs do, some of them die. It's less than 10% in that flu world that can die, but um, they get spike fevers of 105, 106. And there's just no, none of the antivirals in the human side work on the dogs. So, you know, we really, other than supportive care, that's really what we're doing most of the time. Is it mostly the young or the older dogs that die from canine flu? Um, you know, I, I I don't. I haven't seen any necessarily statistics out on it. I think um, it really depends on which strain they're going to get mm-hmm. and if they're vaccinated or not. So, um, you know, those that are not vaccinated, and yeah, I'm sure if it, if they're older, um, could be more severe. If they're already compromised, if they have heart condition or kidney disease, you know, they're already a little bit compromised, then they're probably going to get a more severe case of it. Um, yeah. Everyone, we are talking with Dr. Carr Kelsey from Kelsey Medical Center, uh, Canine Medical Center. If you have any questions, give us a call, 866-472-5788. He is here. You don't have to be in a tight little exam room. He's right right here and sitting next to me. Got headphones on. He's ready to answer those questions. Or send them to Brian with a Y at TeamTheWild.com. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, What is an appropriate age for the vaccination? Uh, you can vaccinate any of the for either board for the kennel cough or the flu above eight weeks. So eight weeks. Now the first series is a two injection or two shot series. So meaning that they'll get an injection, you know, let's say at eight or nine, 10 weeks old, you need to come back in two or three weeks later for a booster. Then after that, it's once a year. If you, do you advise people to get the CI, I guess it's called CIV, canine CIV. influenza uh, vaccine. Do you advise that they... If they're boarding a lot or go to daycare, yes. And uh, also have other dogs. Initially, we were saying, especially for these dogs that do um, agility, that go to the big dog trials, the field trials, do the agility, um, the agility trials as well. So if you've got a group, if you're in one of the, in that, in that world of doing that, when you're going to get several hundred dogs together on a weekend... Those dogs definitely need to get that influenza virus uh, vaccination um, and as well, kennel cough, too. So there are two separate vaccines, um, the kennel cough vaccine. But again, it's only really vaccinated against two agents of the kennel cough complex and then also the, the, the influenza virus. Yeah, we get people all the time that tell us, well, my dog was vaccinated with the Bordetella. Correct. Why did it get canine mm-hmm. cough? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, and again, that's the frustrating part for all of us is, is to hearing that. And that, you know, I just say again, that you're, you're protected up to a point, you know, it, again, it's not specifically, he may not have Bordetella because Bordetella is actually just that, that bacteria. He could have mycoplasma. He could have E. coli um, or strep, 
zooepidemicus. And um, so these other agents, we just don't have a vaccine for. So yes, he still potentially could get it. And as well, um, you know, but a lot of times, yes, their, their, their kennel cough will be a little bit less severe if they're vaccinated. So always better to protect because it's easy to vaccinate for. Um, and again, if they're going to be boarding good bed, daycare, all that, they definitely need to have, have the vaccines. And you said that there's two vaccinations for the canine flu. That's now, how far apart are they? Well, that's so the um, it would be this it'd be the same way. So they'd have an initial uh, set, and then three weeks later you get a booster, and then after that it's once a year. And if you're vacation, then which your dog is going to board with a high number of other dogs, happens to land dead smack in the middle of those three weeks. What do you advise? Well, that ideally they need the vaccines, the first vaccine at least four weeks prior to the visit to the to the boarding facility or the daycare. Four so four weeks would be ideal. So even if they started at four, the fourth week prior, and then come back in at two weeks for the vaccine, and then then they're into the um, then that gives them at least a full two weeks prior to the to the boarding facility. So ideally, you start the vaccine and you need it four weeks prior to the visit. So they're not protected. Immediately they're not after. protected immediately after. That's mm. right. Now, the, with the it's Bordetella, that is with the influenza. Mm. No, with the Bordetella vaccine, the intranasal does work pretty quick. It's it's um, they think we think around about seventy two hours, so about three days after an intranasal vaccine, they're protected. But yep. the influenza is definitely it takes about three or four weeks, a full month. All right, guys. Well, definitely pay attention to that because. Uh, for most of the country, spring break is what? About three That's right. four yeah, weeks from coming now. Up. Coming up. Yeah, and you just heard them four weeks. Therefore, hop on your phone, get on the internet, make your appointment, get your dogs in there, and make sure they get this vaccination. Now, from a professional standpoint and personal standpoint here owning a kennel, Kira and I started requiring the CIV vaccine about a year and a half ago. Was that it correct? Was July Kira? of mm-hmm. 2017. Yes. And I, I will tell you, we, we've seen a difference. Maybe. We really right. have. Uh, the number of, of dogs coming down, especially during the summertime, during the peak period. Boarding. Because, dogs, yeah. Sure. Yeah, boarding. We, we have definitely seen a big difference. That's great. And it seems yeah. like when dogs do get one or the other, it, it just doesn't seem to be as intense as it used to be without that vaccine. Correct. Right. Yeah. And it, I guess the good thing, too, it's not a very hardy, neither of them are hardy agents. You know, they're going to, uh, with cleaning and disinfecting, you know, they do die the virus dies pretty quickly. And same thing with the Bordetella, the bacteria there, you know, but again, when you get a bunch of dogs, that's when we see it. I mean, that, you know, spring break, you know, the week after we're probably going to see kennel cough uh, or the a cough. And then same way, you know, pretty much throughout the summer. I mean, those are our peaks. We assume it saw it after Christmas and things like that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you heard it from Dr. Carr Kelsey. Uh, again, if you have any questions, give us a call 866-472-5788. We're going to cut away to another break, and when we come back, uh, we're still going to have Dr. Kelsey in the house, and we'll be asking him a variety of questions. Uh, So stay tuned. Until then, sit, stay. See you in a minute. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. 
Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We are in the studio here with Dr. Carr Kelsey from Kelsey Canine Medical Center. Uh, he's been talking about canine cough, and we're not going to, if you have any questions on that, uh, feel free to call them in, 866-472-5788. And I believe we have a caller on the line. So who do we have? Welcome. This is Roger from Memphis. Hey, Brian. How are you, Roger? I'm doing quite well. I have a question for uh, Dr. Kelsey. Go ahead. Um, so I have a five-year-old uh, chocolate lab, and I was just curious, uh, is, is brushing the teeth of the dog really effective at all? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I get that question a good bit, and um, a couple points about that. Yes, I would say it is effective. Um, most of the, there are a couple of, we have a dentist here actually here in Memphis, and uh, some of the dental um, lectures I've been to, if you can at least brush your dog's teeth once a week uh, would be beneficial. Okay, so if you can at least brush them once a week, and the key is there really is starting young. You know, if they're a puppy, I tell my clients, you know, put your finger in their in their mouth and just do your finger rub uh, to start with. Then you can graduate up to one of the little uh, thimble uh, type bristles um, that you can buy, and then go up to a brush. Um, so yes, I do think uh, dental, or I mean, brushing your dog's teeth. You know, the reality is I don't have many clients that do it. It's just, a, you know, an extra thing to do. But if you can do it, definitely I would. Now, it doesn't replace, I always tell people just like us, I mean, it doesn't replace, um, you know, an actual dental cleaning where a dog is under anesthesia and we can really get up under the gum line because that's where the disease is. But, yeah, absolutely. If you can if you can get your chocolate lab to do that, that would be wonderful. 
Do you have any, uh, do you, have you ever used any dental chews or anything like that? Uh, we do the little greenies and things like that. Um, but, you know, even with that brushing almost every day, uh, he's, uh, you know, still has bad breath and the teeth are still brown. I don't know if that's just the way it's going to be given his age uh, or not. How old not. is he? Five. Yes, how old he was. Five years old? Okay. Yeah. But, well, but between the age of three and five is really when they start developing a lot of the periodontal disease. Okay. So the gum line is where that, again, that's where the bacteria are. Um, there was a product that came out um, a couple of years ago called Oravet Chews. And they have this product. So within the Oravet Chews, they're different than the greenies. They have a product called Delmopinol. It's, a, um, it's actually a, you know, a little drug. It's actually an FDA product. Uh, and that has proven if, if you fed one of those uh, daily for 60 days, that it improves the breath by 50% and the tartar. Um, so, again, Oravet Chews, um, they're really good. We, we recommend them a lot. Um, some people do them three or four times a week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, since doing it every day, again, might uh, be a little cost prohibitive on a big dog. But, but they're good products, so that's something to consider. But, yeah, if, if you could brush, it, it, you know, the more, more the better is what I tell people. You know, the other thing, too, a five-year-old dog, consider this. A five-year-old dog is more like a – it's like a 40-year-old person, if you will, that's never been to the dentist ever so oh. from childhood, you know, from yeah. birth to 40, you've never seen a dentist before. <laughs> That's not somewhere you'd want to be. So you can, you can imagine there is going to be some, some odor and that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Roger, thank you for calling us. What about flossing? <laughs> <laughs> We're not into flossing. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you may you not can be, do that. <laughs> but Kira, remember our Great yes. Dane? We had a, a jet black Great Dane with tall ears and his name was Batman <laughs> and he loved to have his teeth flossed. Oh, wow. He came into the he bathroom. Was so funny. It was funny. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he saw me flossing one time and, and just this look they gave me, I go, hmm, you want your teeth floss? And she's kind of playing around with them. And, and next thing you know, he bites the floss and I just start running it back and forth. And of oh, course yeah. it's not between his teeth. Right. Uh, like right. Humans would be. But the <clears throat> eyes rolled back in his head. And he started to just wilt. He looked like Gumby. He right. just, down he goes to the bathroom floor. And every single night, he could hear when you pull the floss to the right. little plastic container, the little sound that it makes. That he was right there. He had to have his teeth flossed. He loved it. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> it was so funny. I miss that. I had guy. the mint kind. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> must, must, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was that Orvet floss, yeah. floss I was using. Did that help my teeth think out there? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, dental. I, I tell you, it's uh, I, I never thought about it that way uh, as far mm-hmm. as someone going 40, 50 years without brushing their teeth. Right. Oh, my gosh, Dave. He's uh, the equivalent of an 80-year-old man, I guess, without. <laughs> and his <laughs> breath is sweet. Oh, wow. I don't even oh, want to hear about it. Oh, it right. is sweet. Not, yeah. uh, no, I watched a buzzard fall off of a wagon about a quarter mile away when he yeah. walked one time. <laughs> we know that with a dental disease and stuff, it. it it's amazing how t- sometimes when we do a dental cleaning on a dog, let's say he's uh, it's or she's seven or eight years old, and they're pretty pretty bad teeth, and maybe we pull some and we'll extract you know three or four or five sometimes, but two or three weeks later we do a recheck, and those owners tell us how much that dog has improved overall health. Like the dog just it's like oh I have a happier dog. This dog is more energetic and playful because those teeth were really bothering him. Yeah, they probably you know, hurt. You, don't, you know they can't really express to you how. Mm-hmm these teeth are bothering them. And, and, you know, if you've ever had a, an abscess tooth or a, a fractured tooth, you know, I was dealing with a root canal a couple of weeks ago. I mean, those hurt. And, yeah. um, yeah. and so Makes after sense. that cleaning, 
they just feel a whole lot better. It's 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 really uh, it's rewarding for us to hear. You know, oh, we need to get Dave down because I would feel a whole lot better. <laughs> we had that. Down. Do we have a question on Facebook? We do. We okay. do. We have a question. It says, "What is the real risk of a dog getting an infection from cleaning their teeth, and how often do you give antibiotics when doing a cleaning?" So, well, they're more likely to get an infection after. Well, they're more likely to get an infection beforehand. A lot of times, will a dog will come in with an abscess tooth? They may have a swelling. The the number one tooth abscess is what we call a fourth premolar. Uh, in the maxilla, so in the and just below their eye, basically. So a client might see a bump under the eye, and they think it's a, a dog's, you know, got stung by a bee or a wasp. And nine times out of ten, it's an abscess that has developed. It's kind of just gone up again under the gum line, and it's developed like that. And literally, there's pus and, and everything in there, an infection. Mm-hmm. So we have to go in there and pull that, extract the tooth. Um, post after a dental cleaning, because you have disrupted the flora in the mouth. You know, again, ninety percent of that disease is under the gum line. So we actually, the first part of the dental cleaning is actually scaling under the gum line. Um, so depending on how bad the teeth are, uh, we will put them on antibiotics post-op, you know, post-dental for about a week sometimes. Uh, but not every, every dog gets that, just uh, those that are, we call it like a grade three, you know, a grade two or three when they're, when they're worse in the, in the dental disease. Mm-hmm. I Good remember question. at our veterinary hospital i'd help out the veterinarians every now and then uh, with the dental procedures and it was amazing it was almost like um scraping out the shell on a, <clears throat> on a pecan or a walnut it <laughs> really good. was this hard little shell would come off right and all of a sudden underneath are these pearly whites that's right and i'm thinking i need that <laughs> that, right. that little ultrasonic tool that is used you 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 chip that a lot of times we will we'll chip that that tartar off and it looks like a tooth you know we'll show it to an owner they're like oh my gosh is that the tooth like no no that's just the tartar that had built up over it in this plaque so um, yeah it can <laughs> and sometimes I'll even do it in a room on, during an annual and chip it off and they'll be like oh my gosh yeah mm-hmm. well let me clarify this question real quick because mm-hmm. he asked he says I work at a shelter and they're reluctant to let me scrape teeth because they're afraid of the dog getting an infection afterwards which can happen so you know again when you disrupt that gum line underneath um even just from scraping the teeth not usually it's it's, from scraping the teeth really i i don't think could could set off an infection again it's under the gum line so if you're getting up under the gum line and actually making them bleed they're going to have a more potential for uh to get an infection but actually scraping the the crown the tooth that you see it it really shouldn't that should be pretty safe should be pretty safe yeah gotcha I hope that answers his question there. Um, Wow. (laughs) Dental. Well, you know how uh, I always always tell my client or ask my clients a trick question, you know, I ask them, how many teeth does a dog have? And, you know, uh, nobody can ever get it, you know, uh, get close to it, but it's 42. So a dog has 42 teeth to start with. Well, as an adult, as a puppy, they have 28. But uh, these four, I mean, that's a lot of teeth crammed into a little mouth. A lot of times, especially like a little, you know, Pekingese or a, a, a pug or something like that. There's a lot of teeth there. Now you get the bigger dogs, the shepherds and things like that. Um, they have more space. And I always say, you know, the bigger dogs don't tend to have as much problems with their teeth as the smaller dogs. You know, if you ever watched a lab or a shepherd, they just inhale their food, right? Right. They, you know, they, they'll spend, you know, 10 seconds eating that bowl of food and it's just scarfed down. But these little dogs, I've got two Shih Tzus and a Cavalier, they're over there just chewing away, you know, <laughs> taking their time. And uh, that tartar just builds up a lot faster in that mouth. So, um, uh, 
so that's why, you know, a lot of times again, we, we more encourage the smaller, the owners of small dogs to get it done even earlier in their life, probably around age three. Sometimes we even tell people, if you're, if you've got a little poodle, that's a toy poodle, that's two pounds, he may need a dental cleaning at a year and a half old, which seems crazy, but yeah. Um, they can really develop tartar fast. Remember, Poe had to have teeth removed. She looked like a shark. They were mm-hmm. our little Morky. Oh, yeah. Well, the very first time I did, uh, well, my current Cavalier, I, he was five years old, and I had no idea. I pulled three teeth on him. I had to extract three, and I had no, I had no clue. So when I call clients, you know, I'll, I'll be doing a dentistry, and then I'm like, okay, there's, you know, two or three teeth here that really need to come out. And they're like, I can't believe it. And I'm like, well, here, I'll give you my story. I didn't believe it either. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and when, you know, we have, uh, I know you, you, you're really into the big dogs too, but, you know, a German Shepherd or a Lab for that matter, or a big golden retriever, that canine tooth, you know, 60% of that tooth is under the gum line. All you see is 40%. I mean, it is amazing how much, uh, how big that canine tooth really is once you get, when we have to extract a, a canine tooth, maybe that's fractured. Um, that's really the most common reason to do it. But um, those teeth are really embedded way up in there. Um, and they take a lot of effort to get out. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering yeah. if ours are the same way because you go in to see the dentist and there's anything wrong with your, your canines. Right. If, it's almost as though you can feel that needle that they're using to know oh, you yeah. in the back of your eye. Right. You're thinking, how high up does that darn root go? Right. I mean, I can't it's believe that that high. Right. Hey, guys, we're talking to Dr. Carr Kelsey. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can reach us on Facebook Live, and you can also call us at 866-472-5788. We only have a little bit of time left, and Kira, I know that you couldn't wait to get Dr. Kelsey in here because you wanted to ask him, a question. So if you don't mind, go ahead and, and just ask that. Okay. So I take all the training calls mm. for Taming the Wild. And when I'm talking to the owner of a fearful or aggressive dog about scheduling an evaluation with Brian, I find that the vast majority of them believe their dog's undesirable behavior is the result of an abusive past. Mm. So after they have their evaluation with Brian and he explains how the weak genetics plays a huge role in the dog suffering from persistent unwanted fears, OCDs, phobias. They begin to see that maybe their dog wasn't abused after all. But if I want to tell them to look for something in particular, what would it be? What do you look for? What are obvious signs of abuse? And when you suspect such, what do you do about it? Well, um, Luckily, you know, I I do believe, you know, we're, um, I think we were talking earlier, you know, we're a society that, you know, we take care of our animals for the most part. And, you know, usually the, in my opinion, I think the worst case scenario of abuse that generally happens is not as much physical as it is the physical abuse and slapping or beating or that kind of thing, which can happen. Don't get me wrong. Uh, And I've only been involved in only one or two situations like that in the 20 years I've been doing this but is, you know, the lack of care, right? So they, yeah, the yeah. dogs are not cared for like they ought to be. And, you know, sadly, you know, some children are not cared for nearly as well as they should be, but that does happen in the dog world. I do think, uh, I think you're right. I think a lot of people come in, they, they want a reason other than, hey, my dog might have a chemical imbalance or mm-hmm. my dog was, you know, the genetics aren't great here. They want to have a reason behind. Um, and, you know, for the most part, it's, that's probably not necessarily the case. Um, you know, cause a lot of times I'll, we'll even ask them and say, um, these dogs, 
you know, they may have had them from eight weeks old or, or two months old, something, you know, eight weeks, 12, 12 weeks. So they've had them almost their entire life, you know, did something that, you know, you've got, they're going to be with a mom for the first four to six weeks at least. So I guess I'd say, that to say, you know, there's not a lot of gap there for abuse to technically take place, but, right. um, well, Dr. Kelsey, I really appreciate you coming in. I've, I've learned a lot, and I didn't think I that uh, so I, I would actually honestly learn that much, but I really appreciate you coming in. Oh, I've enjoyed if it. If anyone wants to look up Dr. Carr Kelsey, you can go to Kelsey K9, it's K E L S E Y K9, C A N I N E, spell out the long way, dot com. Guys, next week we will be talking about uh, in all the years I've been with clients, I have witnessed a lot of triumph and tragedy. Well, next week, only going to focus on triumph. And if you've got a feel-good story, if a dog saved you, either physically saved you, emotionally saved you in any way, was four-legged salvation for you, let us know about it this week. Reach out to us and let us know through email, through Facebook. We want to be able to share your story online. So we look forward to next week. Uh, thank you for being a part of the show. And next Wednesday, we'll be back with Stories of Triumph. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.